Greetings, church and friends of the church. Um, this is the scripture lesson and the sermon from the worship gathering of the Valley Forge Presbyterian Church on Sunday, October 3rd, 2021. The scripture lesson of the day was from uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, um, a part of Jesus' most famous teaching, um, series of teachings, uh, often called the Sermon on the Mount. So uh, as Matthew uh, writes of Jesus' teachings, uh, this is what he says. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This, uh, this episode is, is the next in a series of connected reflections on the idea that the church locally and the church nationally and the church around the world, where, wherever people gather and say that they are Christians and seek to be Christians, um, wherever that happens, we acknowledge that we do not gather of our own volition, but that God gathers the church for God's purposes. We are gathered by God in many different ways across boundaries of race, gender, creed, language, geography, technology, etc. When we consent to being gathered into the body of the church, we surrender our will and agenda in deference to God's, and we do so freely. We are not forced against our will or blackmailed by God in order that we might gather, but we accept that invitation to be gathered by God into the church freely because we've learned to trust that what God is doing, um, the nature of God, God's will and character is better and good. And it leads to lives of more joy, justice, peace, and well-being than following our own wills or agendas. So it's this confession that God's way is better than our ways that's at the heart of these considerations in this episode, where we consider what it means <clears throat> that God gathers us into this body of people who seek first and foremost to glorify God in word and deed in the midst of our lives, individually and corporately. So the psalmist cried out centuries ago, glorify God among all the nations. And Jesus, we hear in this uh, section of his sermon, reminded his followers that, that our good works give glory to God and, and not to ourselves. So the Greek word for glorify that Jesus uses is doxazo, from, from which we get the word 
doxology, which is one of our most timeless um, Christian songs that we sing. More on that later. It, the word doxazo, to glorify, means to render or esteem as glorious, to praise, to extol, to magnify, to hold in honor. You get the picture. It means to confess that something or someone else is good and worthy of our deference and humility and worthy of honoring and following instead of honoring and following the self or someone else we may choose to listen to and to follow. And so as we are gathered by God, as the diverse and beautiful body of faith locally, nationally, and globally, two things happen in that time and space of being gathered together. And the first is that we intentionally ascribe glory to God in our worship practices. So the psalmist wrote, ascribe to the Lord, O families of all the peoples, ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to God's name. O families of all the peoples, every nation and tribe and tongue, the Lord is king. The Lord is to be revered and followed above all other gods. For the psalmist writes, for the gods that we make for ourselves are just idols. The idols of the nations and tribes at the time of the psalmist were many and varied, just as ours are today. Their gods were more mythological gods of sun and moon and rain and harvest, etc. And, and the people sacrificed deeply and gave everything. Some even sacrificing the lives of their own children because of what they perceived to be their idol's promise to deliver favor, protection from other tribes, rains, good and sustaining harvests in return for their sacrifices. Our gods today are more material, gods of money, power, possessions, prestige, privilege, but these idols function in the same way of those idols of old, because an idol is an idol. An idol promises everything, demands everything, and yet fails to deliver. This is what an idol is. We sacrifice greatly in our day to the gods of materialism, money, success, power, violence, even committing to them our children. Because we think that they promise life that is good. And also, if we're honest and humble, we confess that we've been cultured in many ways to practice a brand of Christianity in the midst of this pursuit that seeks to appease God with a relatively small offering of our time and money, some platitudes and word or song. And our aim is to keep God happy by doing what we think we're obligated or supposed to do so that God won't punish us in response by disrupting or interfering with our lives while we commit the majority of our time and resources and efforts to these other gods of money, power, possessions, safety, comfort, pleasure, prestige, privilege, conquest, etc. But then, sadly, these gods take everything from us and fail to deliver the happiness and the well-being that they promise. The chase after these idols as the pursuit of our lives is a joyless and exhausting and disappointing pursuit. And so as we're gathered together by God as the church, we confess that we are those who um, 
are going to serve God above all these other gods and idols. We ascribe with intention glory that is due to God. We do that with our songs, our prayers, our confessions, our affirmations, our sermon and reflections, our offerings, our charge. We confess that it's not these other gods that deserve honor, magnification, praise, and deference. They don't deserve to be followed, but God. And, and not just for an hour on a Sunday morning or whenever we're listening to this, but 24-7. Or in the midst of our living, God promises, invites, delivers, helps, heals, inspires, gives, purpose, enables, joy. God's promises are not empty. God is worthy of being honored and followed not just offered platitudes and scraps of time. All that we are seeking from idols in our living is, is found in following after God's way. And so ascribe to God the glory due, the God that belongs to no other idol. Oh, sing to the Lord all the earth, said the psalmist. We know that in the midst of our seeking to intentionally ascribe all glory to God, that singing is an organic and beautiful thing that bubbles up from somewhere deep within. In its purest form, singing is a compulsion that we cannot stifle. When I held our daughters for the first time, songs came pouring out of my heart in those moments. With our oldest, I could hold you in my arms with my heart's song. With, with our middle daughter, you are the best thing is what came pouring out. Apparently, I was on a big Ray LaMontagne kick. And with our youngest, what a wonderful world, Louis Armstrong, was the song that my heart was compelled to sing. I didn't do it because I had to. Uh, it just happened. It just bubbled up and out. It came from my heart. When Blair and I tuck these girls in every night, the song comes pouring out of our hearts to each of them in ways that express our love for them and our promise to them so that they go to bed knowing those promises that are pouring out from our, our hearts. When I'm dancing with Blair at a wedding and a slow song comes on, which is always my favorite, my love for her pours out in song as I sing along with Ed Sheeran or Eric Clapton. You look wonderful tonight, and the wonder of it all is that you just don't realize how much I love you. I don't have to sing that to her. She probably preferred that I didn't, but they just come bubbling up from and out from my heart. When I'm angry at an unjust and ungodly world, there are certain songs that come pouring out from a heart full of righteous anger, sometimes with volume and intensity. Maybe that's something more folky like Bob Dylan. Maybe that's something a little more aggressive like Rise Against or Rage Against the Machine. These songs just come pouring out as expressions of where my heart is. And when we stand before the beauty of the natural world in, in that spirit of awe, there are certain songs that pour out from our hearts in order to narrate what we're experiencing. And for me, most of these are by John Denver. Sunshine on my shoulders really does make me happy. And when the, the members of the church, the people who are the church, are gathered by God in that time and posture and attitude of worship, ascribing glory to God because we've learned to trust God's goodness. And our hearts are filled with these powerful consolations and convictions that bubble up. Hymns pour out from our hearts. It's not an obligation to sing hymns as a church. It's not a required practice that we have to check off the list as we commit this one hour, one scrap of time and, and check off a few boxes. It's a compulsion that we can't stifle. We sing songs of God's incarnation in the life and witness of Christ, this 
this beautiful guiding light and, and source of salvation unto us in the world. And as we ponder that and reflect on that, we can't help but sing of it. It just bubbles up and out. We sing songs of our identity as Christians and how our hearts are longing to follow after his way. We sing songs of our hope in God, our hope for a world of peace. We sing songs like, great is thy faithfulness, amazing grace. Come thou fount of every blessing. Lord, make us servants of your peace. And the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so we have to be careful as the church not to approach singing or any practice that's a part of the church being gathered together by God. We have to be careful not to approach these practices with the desire to glorify, honor, elevate, seek to please the self. If, if our singing as part of the church is about what we like or desire, what we want to sing because we like the melody or the style or the instrument that accompanies it or how that song makes us feel, then we are seeking to glorify ourselves and to serve ourselves. And so rather than asking if we like or prefer a hymn personally, we ask instead, does this song provide the opportunity for my faith, my repentance, my love to come pouring out? I don't particularly prefer John Denver, but Sometimes his songs are just what my heart needs to pour out. Rather than asking if we like a particular affirmation of faith or prayer or a confession or sermon or other activity in worship, we seek to ask if that affirmation or prayer, confession or sermon or activity gave us the chance to express the faith, the repentance, the love that is pouring out of our hearts. God gathers us together, and as we tend to the faith that we all share within our hearts, our songs and prayers and affirmations and confessions come pouring out. And as we sang on Sunday, um, the, it was a song of that great day when all will be one, united in love, and the calling of our lives uh, to act with justice, to love tenderly, to serve one another, and to walk humbly with God. That's the song of our heart. So it comes pouring out because we have to, because it just happens when we're truly in that place of deference and glorifying God. So yes, the first thing that we always do um, as, as people of faith, whether it's as we're gathered together or as we are gathered with some distance between us uh, physically in the midst of our daily living, we always must first ascribe to God all the glory so that we seek not to serve ourselves or any other person. And when we do that, we tend to the songs and the prayers and the confessions that come pouring out of us when we do. But the second thing that we need to do is just as critical in our life and witness as the church. And that's to spend time and effort as we are gathered together, intentionally discerning that which we are called by God to do in our community in ways that are illuminating to others so that they too are compelled to glorify God in their own living. So yes, we are those who are gathered to pray, to listen, to sing, but we are also those who have more work to do beyond what we understand to be our typical worship practices. Jesus taught that we are those who are sent out to light the way, standing tall before the dark world, providing clear orientation through the sea of idols that are inundating our neighbors and leading instead by the light of Christ shining through us 
leading those neighbors into lives that are real and good, true, joyful, abundant, meaningful, truly powerful, and, and make for real and genuine peace. And aren't these like fruitless and exhausting pursuits of lives of idols? But we have to let that light shine before others so that they see the good and godly things that we're doing as we seek to glorify and serve God's purpose. So that they too can learn what it means to find the good and meaningful life and glorify it in God with the actions and words of their lives and not these other idols. We, we have to let our light shine and not hide it in our gigantic sanctuary-shaped bushel basket with opaque windows where no one else can see it. We're to be a light on a hill that's not hidden away, that's not under a basket. The church that shines is a church whose actions in the world around it bring glory to God and not to themselves. We aren't, as a church, ever trying to be attractive, reputable, or the talk of the town. We're trying to let the light of our good deeds bring guiding light and hope to the community. This is happening out from our congregation's life and witness with food. Thousands of neighbors are glorifying God through their generosity unto the hungry, finding meaningful life and that compassion offered freely to others. But we are not done as a congregation with this one particular effort of shining. We must never stop discerning how else we are to let our light shine. There are opportunities for us to shine out in, in many other ways and directions. So our prayer in the days ahead, and that God would help us as we uh, seek to glorify God in our care for the poor, the impoverished, the marginalized, the homeless, and the least of our neighbors, in ways that shine forth and are visible to the community and, and invite them to see the good life, what it really is and what it really means, to, to not just do these things in ways that can't be seen, but to do them publicly, not so that we glorify ourselves, not pridefully, but intentionally in pointing to God as um, the source and the recipient of all the glory. We pray that God would help us with, to guide us and bring us clarity as we intentionally seek to discern whether or not the vision for our future witness that's being brought to our congregation is God's call upon us to shine. The vision that, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about there, you can read more about on our church website, valleyforgepress.org, as we seek to make room in our spaces for the continued operation of the Upper Marion Area Community Cupboard, that the hungry might find food and compassionate help, as we consider uh, renovating our Christian education building um, into apartments for those uh, who are in need of housing that's affordable and apartments for youth aging out of foster care who will be um, participants in a supervised independent living program of Delta Community Supports. And it's a vision to transform our sanctuary into a more flexible space so that with the exception of the hour or two on Sunday morning when we are in worship together, 
um, the room can be used in other ways, particularly for some new ideas for ministering to families with children in our community um, in that space Monday to Friday. Are these our ways that we are to shine, not for our own glory, but for God's as an expression of what is good and right and true and beautiful in ways that invite others into that life? So we freely accept this invitation to be gathered together by God. We're not here by obligation. We choose to be here and to be part of the church and all that it is called to do. We ascribe God the glory first, knowing that none of what we do as the church is for our own sake. We prayerfully trade our wills and desires for God's. We allow songs and prayers of praise and glory and hope to pour out freely from our hearts of faith. And we freely choose to express these deepest convictions and hopes and longings in our hearts for good and godly works um, that, that will inspire others to join in lives of glorifying God. And we don't do any of this in, a, in isolation or alone. We are all joined together here in this congregation as a connected body working together. And God's gathering bodies of faith in our town, in our state, in our nation, and worldwide. In community and communion and koinonia and collaboration and cooperation. To ascribe, sing, pray, illuminate the way to the glory of the kingdom come. We don't have to do it all. We are part of a bigger body all around the world, but here and now, we must all do our part in seeking that kingdom come. And so with God's help, as we seek to give God all the glory, word and in deed, may it be so. Take care, be well, be safe, wear a mask, get vaccinated, love your neighbor, and peace to all.